Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. Um, you know, I just want to first address, uh, you know, we've been praying for the Spirit of God to just rain down in this place, and He has just brought it through condensation. So that's what we have here today, so I'm, I'm here on the floor with you. I'm glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, I want to personally say that we're glad you're here. Um, you know, just to give you a little snip about who we are, we're a brand new church plant. You know, we're just getting started, so you came in a great time. Our big launch is going to be in January. Uh, we're part of a movement that seeks to see a thousand churches to plant, to start a thousand churches in 50 years. That's what we're trying to do. We're hungry to see God move in extraordinary ways. Uh, we seek to be a church that is both simple and deep. Uh, we believe in a very simple truth, but we believe that this truth can be mined for a lifetime. We're a gospel-centered church that makes everything we do about this guy named Jesus. Everything. And with that said, just know that we're thankful that you're here. We're, thank we're truly thankful that you're here. We just started a sermon series in 2 Timothy. Uh, th this, is, this is an old guy. This is, there's a letter. There's an old guy named Paul. Um, he's about to die in prison um, and then he goes on to write his final letter to this young guy named Timothy before he's, he's actually killed for his faith. So Paul, Paul is a mentor to Timothy. You know, he's a mentor, and Timothy is naturally timid and fearful. Paul wants to make sure that this gospel, this good news, uh, he wants to make sure that Timothy continues to pass on the gospel. It's, um, Timothy remains. He wants Timothy to remain courageous for the gospel. That he's not ashamed of the gospel. We looked at that last week. He doesn't want the gospel to stop with Timothy. He wants the gospel to pass through Timothy. You know, last week we looked at that concept of courage. And the followers of Christ, um, you know, we want to remain courage courageous for the advancement of the gospel. But this week we're going to look at this concept of guarding the gospel, guarding the gospel. So that's our main point for today. Uh, the church guards the gospel. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 11 through 18, so you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there if you have them with you. If not, we're going to have it up on the screen. Last week we read verses 11 and 12. Um, we didn't really have much time to do it, and so, but twice in this passage that we're going to look at today, it says guard. He says guard, and it comes up twice, and that word, it's a military term, okay? And when I think of military... I think big and strong and fierce and stoic and heroic. Now, I want to remind you of Paul and Timothy. Paul, he's old. He's frail. He was known to be bald. He called himself ugly. Historians have said he was long-nosed, and he was known to have many ailments, health problems. And Timothy is known to be physically weak and timid and fearful. So we have old, ailing Paul telling weak, timid Timothy to guard the gospel. Now, with that, I think of my, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's called The Little Giants. I don't know if you've seen it. It's early 90s. So this, this movie called The Little Giants, it's about a bunch of little kids who play football. They're on a football team. And one of the football players was a girl, but she got cut from the team because she was a girl, but she was actually one of the best players on the team to try it out. And so it's a movie, you know, kind of their tagline is, it's a movie about a bunch of nobodies trying to be somebody. They all had a dream, and they just wanted a chance. That's kind of what you see in the trailer there. So but one of those ki little kids, he was this tiny little kid. You know, he was the smallest guy on the team, and his name was Jake Berman. Now, if you've seen the movie, 
the little giants. Jake Berman is this, uh, he's the snotty-nosed kid with glasses. I don't, know if, I don't know if you've seen it or not. But just to give you an idea of the fierceness of Mr. Jake Berman, um, he showed up to his first practice surrounded with a foam mattress that was duct taped to him, ready to play football. Like he was just like walking around waddling through with foam taped all around him. So he was, he was a really fierce guy, let me tell you that. So the night before the big game, Jake Berman, along with everyone else, they're kind of going through, showing everyone how they're getting ready for the game, preparing for the game. And Jake, about 75 pounds, soaking wet, massive, thick glasses, and as scrawny as could be, is standing in front of the mirror with his shirt off and his sweatpants. They're like twice the size of him, you know, uh, bubbles kind of coming out of his nose. And he's flexing in front of this mirror. He's got great courage. And he's yelling at, at himself in the mirror, trying to get himself psyched up, pumped up. And he's like, you want intimidation? I'll show you intimidation. And it's just like a hilarious moment in the movie. But you're watching all these kids knowing that they have no chance. But at the end of the movie, you know, what, what's going on? If you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry to ruin it for you. It's been at least 25 years. But Jake, he was a super smart kid. And he draws out this trick play. And this trick play is called the Annexation of Puerto Rico. Great play. They run the play. They win the game. Everyone's excited. Everyone's excited about what's going on. But just imagine, I just kind of imagine that's kind of what's going on here, right? Timid Timothy, the world is against him. He's been giving a task to advance the gospel. Paul is telling him to guard the gospel. He, has, he takes the advice, and, and later, I kind of imagine, however, this isn't quite in the Bible, uh, I just kind of imagine this, you know, Timothy is going and standing in front of the mirror, uh, growling and flexing, ready to conquer the world, and he's ready to guard the gospel. Now, one of the things I think we can all agree on is, you know, we guard things that are important to us. So when I travel, I try to always guard my wallet. You know, I put it in my front pocket. When, when I'm at home, I try to guard my family. You know, I will guard my daughters from every single boyfriend they have until they're at least 45 years old. You know, it's the same, you know, this is, we, get, we get the same idea with guarding ideas, thoughts, and beliefs, right? If you want something, if you want to guard, if you know something to be true, you guard it, you protect it, you stand up for it. Now, something else I think we can all agree on is that it takes much, much more courage to admit that you're wrong about something. So if you're wrong and you know it, and you're not able to admit it, that's cowardice. That's not courageous, right? With that said, we also know that it's cowardice if you know something be, to be true and we don't stand up for it. Last week, we talked about not being ashamed and suffering. And if you're not a Christian here today, I think this should at least intrigue you, that someone would guard something and protect it even when they know it could cause some sort of suffering and hardship. That should at least intrigue you, up to suffering and hardship, maybe even to the point of death. And so the main, you know, our main point is the church. It's not the building. It's not the space. It's not an organization. It's not an event. The church, the church is the people. If the main point of today is the church is to guard the gospel, then we need to, what we need to answer through our passage today is how does the church guard the gospel? How do we guard the gospel? How does the church protect the truth of God's message? How do we make sure that this simple truth that we have, how do we make sure that it doesn't get thwarted or twisted? So we're going to seek to answer this through our outline today. There's four points today. I added a fourth one. Uh, you know, we've been going with three, but now we've got four. So here it is. Guard the gospel with your gifts. Guard the gospel with the word. 
guard the gospel with community, and then just to spice it up a little bit, uh, we're going to end our time with this great truth that take heart, church, God is guarding the gospel. So we're going to be in our text, and I never want to assume anything. Um, so we have to get to what this gospel is. We've talked about it over the past few weeks. This is our simple truth. We have all messed up. We've all messed up. That's called sin. We've all been separated from God. And because of our sin, the Bible says we all deserve a penalty called death. The penalty is death. And because of this, because of our penalty, because we messed up, because, of, because we deserve death, we need someone to rescue us. We're in desperate need of a redeemer, of a rescuer. So in God's kindness, he sent a redeemer. He sent a rescuer. And the rescuer, his name is Jesus. Now, Jesus, he lived the perfect life without sin, and then he died the death that we all deserved, and he took our punishment. He took it for us. He was the perfect substitute sacrifice, and we, when we put our trust in Jesus, we get the eternal life that Jesus earned. Jesus earned it, but we get it when we trust in him. If it seems too simple, you're probably right. It's that simple. This is a very simple truth. It's, it's so simple, it's good news. That's what gospel means. Gospel literally means good news. So when you believe in Jesus, when you believe that Jesus was God, that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus took the punishment of our sin that we deserve, if you believe it, he saves you. You're not saved by what we do. You're not saved by going to church. You're not saved by doing more right than wrong. You're saved by believing. That's it. That's the gospel. When you believe, God comes into your heart and starts to work in your life. God starts to work in you to do things, things that you wouldn't normally do. A lot of different things. But one of those things that we're going to talk about today is guarding the gospel. Standing up for God's word and protecting it. With that said, let's dive into the text, okay? We're kind of jumping in men's sentence in this passage, so just bear with me. Verse, verse 11. For which, he's speaking of the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So I want to point out something in verse 11. Okay? There's this theme that we've seen kind of throughout this entire first chapter, specifically about what God gives us. Now we see that God gives power and love and self-control. We've talked about that. God gives us a mission. He gives us a, a, a message, and he gives us a method for the mission. But we also see in this first chapter that God gives us gifts. Earlier in verse 6, Paul told us to fan into flame the gift of God, to work out the gift that God had given specifically to Timothy. And then when we look down again in verse 11, we see the gifts that God gave Paul, his mentor, Timothy's mentor. Paul says, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. So these are specific gifts that 
God gave to Paul. Paul was set apart. Paul was appointed to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And then down in verse 12, Paul says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. So you see, Paul knew that God appointed him. Paul knew that God gave him his gift of preaching and his gift of teaching and his apostolic gift, and all of it was from God, but he suffered. One of the things that's interesting is that he suffered specifically because of his gifts. He said, when he spoke of his gifts, he said, that's why I suffer as I do. You see, Paul's suffering is tied to his gifts. Very interesting. But more importantly here, Paul's courage is tied to his gifts. Paul is able to be courageous in his suffering, his hardship, because he has a confidence that what he has, this gift, he has a confidence that this is from God. He knew his message was from God, his mission was from God, and he also knew that his gifts were from God. Paul was able to use his gifts specifically his gifts of teaching and preaching, his apostolic gifts, courageously to guard the gospel, which is our first point. Guard the gospel with your gifts. Guard the gospel with your gifts. Now, I want to be clear here. Paul was using, he had a specific gift of teaching and preaching and apostolic gifting. And these are gifts that we often think of when we think of guarding the gospel. These are gifts that, you know, we think of because, you know, specifically in in guarding the gospel using the word. We're going to get to that later, but don't think that just because you don't have a specific gift of preaching and teaching, don't think that you can't guard the gospel using your gifts. Here are a few examples. Okay? If you have the gift of hospitality, you are helping to guard the gospel by providing a safe place for people who are hurting, by providing a place of refuge for the confused. Safe and comfortable environments, they naturally break down barriers walls and barriers. You have, if you have the gift of exhortation, of encouragement, of, or faith, right? You're, you're guarding the gospel by displaying a, a, a sense of confidence in who God is. You're encouraging everyone else to guard the gospel. Or how about the gift of words of knowledge or wisdom or discernment? You guard the gospel by helping us sniff out wolves that don't, we don't see. You're the one who thinks, hey, something's not right here. Like, you're using a sense of discernment to think something's not right. We need to be cautious here. We need to, we need to guard here. And I, I could keep going. And, and I realize that just touching on this idea of gifts, it may be confusing. And if you're curious about this topic of gifts that we've kind of talked about, this is a great thing for us to work out in our groups, to talk about. So get in the group, right? That's one of the things we can do. Get in the group and we can talk more about these idea of gifts. But here's the point. Don't think that the gift that God has given you can't be used to guard the gospel. You need to use these gifts. Build up the body. That's what these are for. To build up the body and to help to guard the gospel. When you know your gift is from God, it makes you courageous. It emboldens you. Seek to know the gifts that God has given us. It blesses the church, and it blesses us, and it blesses those around us, and it helps us to guard the gospel. Look down at verse 13. Paul says, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So what does he tell Timothy to follow? Words. right? But not just any words. He says, sound words. Some translations here, they say healthy words. 
words that are correct, the right words, true words, not, not false words, not the unhealthy words, not the wrong words, but he says, follow the pattern of sound words. The pattern, right? There's a consistency of truth. It's repetitive. It's consistent. We know that God has given us his word in the Bible. When we read the Bible, we believe that we are reading God's word. God spoke in great power, and then he wrote it down. This brings us to our second point today. Guard the gospel with the word. God's word, right? the Bible, uh, it's massively important to what we do here at New City Church. We don't just make up stuff. Right? We don't just try to motivate people and tell people what they want to hear to make them feel better or to draw a big crowd. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not really clever or motivating enough to that for that to even work. Like it's just, I'm just, my last job that I had, it was a lot easier. And strangely enough, outside of the power of God working in my life and changing me, my, my natural disposition is just to really not like public speaking. Be, being on stage, being on stage is not naturally my thing. And I, and I personally don't even really like to talk that much. So, um, you know, if I'm not preaching or teaching God's word, I'd really prefer not to speak in front of people. So, I've grown a ton in this. Obviously, I do it now. Um, but the point I'm getting at is my words have absolutely no power. None at all. But God's word is bursting with power. Bursting with power. The collective power of all of our words together put in this room is a drop in the ocean compared to the power of God's word. Why would we speak and proclaim weak man-made words when, the, when we have the power of God's word? If someone is preaching what people want to hear, not according to God's word, we should run. If someone is changing what God's word says so it fits better with the culture of the day or because we don't like what it says, we should run. That's cowardly. That's not courageous. It's not really that hard to preach what people want to hear. There are so many false teachings of our day that we have got to be aware of. People often will use the Bible to give a sense of false promises. It seems like Christianity is very subtle because you know, the Bible will be quoted, but it's not true Christianity. It's, the verses of the Bible are taken out of context. It's not the way, they're not used in the way that they're intended to be. Here's something that we should all, here's a phrase that's used often that we should be aware of, that we should, be to, we should guard against. When someone says, I like to think of Jesus as, or my Jesus would, or my God would, right? Typically, whatever follows those statements is typically not right. It's typically heresy, right? It's generally not the way God revealed himself to be. Logically, it really just doesn't make sense to invent our own God because we're innately making ourselves God. If we're inventing a God the way we want him to be, then we're saying, hey, I'm the one with all the power. I'm the one who's actually really God here. So it would be like me saying, hey, my name's Eric. Uh, I've got a wife and three kids, and I went to NC State. And you're coming back here and saying, no, you didn't actually go to NC State. That's not really, I, didn't, I don't like NC State, so we're not going to, you didn't really go to NC State. Right? That's silly. But this is what happens in our culture. All the time in our culture with God. And unfortunately, it happens in the church as well. And we have to guard against this. We can't have a pick and choose Christianity. We can't pick the things we like and pick the things we don't like. This may be one of the most dangerous things in the church today. Another one of these false gospels is that we have to recognize what Jesus did at the cross. 
Like we will recognize what Jesus did at the cross, but then oftentimes what can happen is that the power and the presence of sin is belittled. It says, God loves me, Jesus paid for my sins, and I can do whatever I want. Listen, that's not Christianity. That's just plain selfish. That's selfish. <laughs> yes, Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is our Protector, but He's also our King. He's also our King. You, can, you can't say you love someone and then constantly do things that they don't like and say that we love them. You don't love them. We're just using them, right? It's not hard to preach what, we don't, what, what, what people want to hear. People have itching ears, is what the Bible says. It's, it's much harder to take and takes much greater courage to preach what is true, even if it ruffles our feathers and makes people mad. We understand, okay, we, we understand that we have an offensive message. I get it. But we believe that it's true, and we stand firm on it. We strive hard to guard it here. We believe that the entirety of God's word is powerful and true. We need to know that it's true. We also need to seek to know why it's true. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your soul. We must love God with our mind. We have to be people that think really well, that know God's word, that study his word, that are in his word, but not as people. Listen, we cannot be people that don't think well. We have to think well. Don't just believe something because the culture says it's true or your parents say that it's true. Seek to find answers to why it's true. Seek answers. Seek the truth. We need to know what is true. I, listen, I've studied many different cultures and religions, and the more I'm convinced, the more I study, the more I'm convinced that it's true. Right? The more I study God's Word, the more I'm amazed at how cohesive God's Word is. The Bible was written over a period of 2,000 years with 40 different authors. Might I remind you, um, these authors, they did not have Google Docs, okay? Uh, the cohesiveness and the continuity of God's Word is unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever done a group project, okay? Um, but it's not that easy to go in the same direction with the same vision and the same purpose and goal, even when you just have three or four people sitting around a table all with the same mind, and you can actually talk to each other. But can you imagine doing a group project with 40 different people spread out over 2,000 years with different languages, with different cultures, and ways of thinking, and it actually makes sense? With everyone having the same purpose, goal, and vision? I think it would be really difficult. I do. I think this would be really difficult, if not impossible, unless there's one person over the entire project directing it, guiding it, and writing it all down. That's what happened with God's Word. God used human authors to speak through His Word. And then a guy named Jesus comes down to earth, claims to be God, and confirms that everything that was written was true, and then that guy named Jesus performs miracles. He died on the cross, and then he was buried, and he rose from the dead. Right? How, how, like, what else does it take? And then people write down what they saw, and they all have different perspectives, and they all agree. And then those that saw it with their eyes, they witnessed it, they believed it to be true, and then they were willing to die for it. 
Here at New City Church, along with many other like-minded churches, not just here but all over the world, we hold to God's Word as the ultimate source of truth. It's the ultimate source of truth. Something to know about the spreading of Christianity. A little bit of a Christian history here. In the, in the spreading of Christian, of Christian history, the first couple hundred of years, God's Word was the only source of truth. There was nothing else. They read it aloud together. They studied it together. They preached it. They prayed through it. And then because of various reasons, like cultures changing and languages changing and corruption in leadership, they started to forbid people to actually read the Bible in their own language. So then uh, they had to go to those who were in leadership to be taught God's word. And because of corrupt leadership, they often would use they could control the message and maintain power and often receive money. And then things that were not in the Bible would become, would, would become normalized and they would become a sense of tradition. And tradition then became a source of truth. And when people ask why they do things, it, the answer was often and is often because that's the way we've always done it. And we, we, just, <laughs> we just wholeheartedly reject that, right? Like, we don't want to do things just because that's the way it's always been done. We want to learn from history, but we want to think really well about everything that we do, why we do it. And get, to, and get to what Jesus originally intil, intended. It'd be like the telephone game. I don't know if you remember that game where you kind of say something and kind of pass it down and, you know, figure out what happens, and oftentimes it gets distorted. So, like, what's the, what's the most accurate way to get the most, what's the best way to get the most accurate message? To go to the original source. Like, that's how they, that's how they check what happened if what, what, what was said down here was actually true. So that's what we do. We try to go to God's Word. We try to go to the original source of the Scriptures. Now, how cool is this? Okay, we have a direct route to the God of the universe. God speaks directly to us. He speaks to us through His Word. We want to know His Word. We want to study His Word. We want to be guided by His Word. But, and listen to me. I, I mean this. If you call New City Church your home, if it's, it is part of your responsibility to continually check what is preached and taught here. Every single person here that calls New City Church their home is responsible for this. And I mean this. If I say something up here that does not fit in with God's Word, you, it is your responsibility to say something. It really is. It's your responsibility to say something. We take this very seriously. We want to get this right. Theology matters. Right doctrine matters. Thinking rightly matters. Preaching and teaching God's Word accurately, it really matters. Every Thursday afternoon, I get together with a group of people, and they do a lot of things, but we, we go through our sermon, this sermon, and they help me make it better. But one of the things that we do during that time is we, we try to make sure that we get this right. We're, we're, we want to be a church that guards the gospel. We must be a church that knows the gospel, that knows God's Word. And one of the best things that we can do that you can do to better guard the, to better guard the word is to know the word better, right? To understand the gospel deeper. You know, to seek extreme clarity to know what is true about what God's word says. You know how they you know how they train um, people to to figure out what counterfeit like if, if something's counterfeit or not within the money. How they how they how they train people in counterfeit money? They spend hours and hours studying the actual the real thing. They don't study all the other fake dollar bills or fake money. They study the real thing. They've studied it so well, they know it so well, 
that when they cease a deviation from it, it sticks out and it stands out. So how do we prepare better in guarding the gospel, in guarding the word? We study and know how the gospel, stand, we, how, it, how it changes and how it, how, it, how it works and how it moves inside and out. That's why we seek to do here every time we gather. We don't ever graduate from the gospel. We continue to dive deeper into the gospel. The deeper we dive into the gospel, the better we can guard the gospel. I told you this earlier. We seek to be both simple and deep. And the gospel is very simple, yet deep enough to feast on for a lifetime. <laughs> the, the gospel is like a diamond. I, uh, you know, a lot of girls love diamonds. Um, it's 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 beautiful. It's breathtaking, you know, it's a, it's a really simple stone, you know, it kind of glimmers when you put it in the light sometimes, and every time you turn it, it shines and glimmers in a new way, it sparkles in a new way, and it's the same thing that happens with God's Word and the Gospel. We need to seek to understand the depths of the Gospel because in doing so, it helps us to better guard the Word, to guard the Word, to guard the Gospel. Let's, now, let's keep going. I want to point out something in this text that we see about Paul, okay? Um, the last four verses of this chapter, if we're not careful, uh, we can just kind of glaze, glaze over them, uh, read them kind of quickly, and then, and then move on. Let's not forget that every part of God's Word um, is life-giving. Look at, look at verse 15 to 18. It says, You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So at first, at first reading, it's kind of like, okay, Phygelus and Hermogenes. And uh, side note, I think those names often sound like something you would hear in a biology class. So they're like our two bacteria guys here today, Phygelus and Hermogenes. So these guys, they ditched Paul. Onesiphorus, he's our dinosaur guy. I just love these names here. So he, he refreshed Paul. Uh, he must have brought, you know, he must have brought Paul some sort of nice fruit basket or some orange juice and some fruit snacks. And, you know, while his boy was in jail, you know, Paul's thankful. And then the end of the chapter... And then let's move on to chapter 2. But no, that's not really what happens. We want to think about this. Stop and think. So why does Paul point out our two bad bacteria guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes, right? We need to, or, and then, then why does he point out our nice dinosaur guy, Onesiphorus? And I think he points out these two different scenarios, these two different cases for a specific reason. You see, he, what Paul, Paul loved theology, but he wasn't, just, he wasn't a theology nerd without any friends. Okay, Paul, he was a people person. He loved people. Later, if you look at the end of this chapter, it's really, it's really interesting. At the end of this chapter, Paul mentions about 15 to 20 different people um, in multiple different cities. So he has all these different friends he's referencing. And that's not an exaggeration because I actually went and counted. It really is about 15 different people. Um, so Paul, Paul was that guy that knew everybody. Okay, But something about these two different examples is that one was positive and one was negative, but they're real life. So follow me here, okay? God's method for reaching the world is for people to invest in people. We must remember that life is going to be messy. And we're going to invest time and energy into people, and sometimes 
it's going to be super encouraging and fruitful. And sometimes it's going to be really hard. Sometimes some are going to reject you and turn away from you, and some are going, and then sometimes some are going to return the favor when we invest in them, and they will be extremely refreshed by them. It's going to happen. And with that said, we must not let the hard experiences keep us from continuing to invest in people. Because without a doubt, God has designed us to be in community, to be in relationships with each other. In fact, this is, this is part of God's way in guarding the gospel, which is number three. We guard the gospel in community. And the people that we spend time with matters. Every single one of us affect people, but we're also being affected by people. The question we have to answer is, are we influencers or are we being influenced? Listen, God, God has made us to reflect His image, the image of God. God has made us to be in communion with Him, to know Him, to, to be affected by God, to follow Him. But what often happens to each of us is that because of sin, because of the brokenness of the world, we're often more affected by others than we're affected by Christ. God didn't design us to follow the words of the world God designed us to follow the sound words of Jesus. The more, listen, the more we commune with God, the more we spend time with God, the more we have a relationship with God, the less likely we are to be affected by the world. We must remember, however, that we will, this will never be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. Right? We continue to struggle. We continue to toil. We continue to stub our toe and continue to mess up. And all the while... We continue to strive to be more like Christ. One of the ways we grow in becoming more like Christ is to spend time with brothers and sisters who are also striving to be more like Christ. By spending time with other brothers and sisters in the faith, by investing in others, we're becoming, we become guardians of the gospel together. You know, if, if I'm helping you to grow in understanding of the gospel so that you can better guard the gospel, we're protecting the gospel together. Like it's a group project. This is what the church is to do. The more we build one another up, the more we encourage each other, the more we point each other to Christ, invest in each other, the greater we guard Christ. God did not create us to live in the Christian life alone. That's not the way we were intended to be. God did not create us to be alone. This is one of the more, one of the more tragic things of the church today. People will often think that we don't need the church that we don't need each other, but maybe if we get like a cup of coffee, a Bible, and maybe some K-Love running, um, you know, maybe that's all we need. Uh, but, but this is far from what God designed us to do. God designed us to be in community with each other, to love one another. God designed us to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to serve one another, to exhort one another, right? To remind each other of truth and to continue, every single time we gather, we want to continue to point each other back to Christ. Hey, look at the gospel. Look at Christ. Look at what Christ is doing. This is what community does. This is what Christian community does. We continue to remind each other of the glory of Christ. Our time, this is why our time in group is massively important. You know, this is half of what we do as a church. Our group, our groups, our groups setting is a place to guard the gospel in each other's lives. It's what we do uh, if all we do is come here, sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, get in and get out, we're not doing what God has created us to do. Right? We're created to be with one another, to spend time with one another. One of the highlights of my week, 
Okay, one of the highlights of my week, uh, every week, it's been so life-giving for me for years, uh, encouraging my soul. It's just sitting down with three or four guys every week, no kids, you know, no distractions, and talking about real-life praises. Just talking about real life. Talking about what's going on, struggles, praying for each other. You know, we have, <laughs> we have structured this time intentionally every single week to dig deeper into God's Word together. Every single person has this opportunity to dig deeper into a smaller group of people, to build each other up, to pray for one another. You know, one of the things I've accepted and I'm super thankful for is that every single week I spend a lot of time on this sermon, right? About 25 hours every single week, making sure that we get it right, it's clear, it's understandable, we're guarding the gospel, guarding God's Word, but yet... I fully understand that the time that you spend in groups with those in that small group with three or four people may be more life-giving and better or, or help to encourage your faith in different ways that I can't do it here. You can speak into each other's lives. You can ask questions, right? You can get to know one another. You can sharpen one another. You know, we don't get me wrong, right? The, the preaching of God's Word, it's massively important. We take it very seriously. But digging into God's Word and praying together, doing it in community, doing it in a group of people, in small group, in prayer. This is the way that God has intended us to do. This is invaluable for us. It's one of the greatest means and methods to guard what God is doing in your life. You know, two of our core values here at New City Church, uh, authentic relationships and intentional discipleship, and both of these things happen in community. In our small group setting, relationships matter. They matter. Real true, genuine relationships. They all matter. Relationships that ask you about the good, <laughs> the bad, the hard, the ugly. Relationships that offer some sort of shoulder to cry on. Right? These, these matter. Right? It all matters. Discipleship matters. We have to be intentional with each other. The older believer, we need the younger believers. Younger believers, we need the older believers. Discipleship is God's way to build up the church, to strengthen the church. Discipleship happens in community. It happens in relationship. And discipleship helps us to guard the gospel. We need this, and we desperately need this. If you're not in a group, we want you to get in the group. We need people in our life that can help us to guard the gospel together. Now, I want to tra transition on to our last point here. Give me about five or seven minutes. Okay, so hang with me. Have you been overwhelmed? Uh, just Have you ever been overwhelmed by a task at hand? Okay? That you feel crippled by it? That's my question. Have you ever been overwhelmed by a task and felt crippled by it? And you struggle so much to do it. Maybe it's a test or a big project or a house project. Okay? Something to know about me is that I love house projects. I love them. But let's just say I'm not the handiest guy in the world. Okay? So it calls a few problems. Now, I've gotten a, little, a lot better. We've, me and my wife, we've tried to, the, the last two houses we've owned, we've tried to flip them. You know, YouTube has done wonders for us. You know, right out of college, I had this grand idea. Okay? I wanted to buy a house. Kelly thought it was crazy. Uh, you know, the economy had just kind of taken a downturn, and I thought it was a really good time to buy um, I like to find things at really good deals. Um, you know, it, it was still crazy, right? Kelly, Kelly was in uh, school. I had, I had, uh, she didn't have a job. I was working my first job out of college. I wasn't really making like bank, you know. Um, it made no sense, 
But I was a man on a mission, okay? We had a purpose. We bought a small foreclosed house. And let me tell you about this house. It was without a stove. It didn't have, you know, it was missing half the kitchen. The bathroom floor was coming up. It had slimy goop all over the walls, okay? Our first day, our neighbor comes in, and she says, uh, oh, yeah, right there, that's where you're, the previous owner, that's where he was actually shot and died. Um, so uh, let's just like to think uh, we got a pretty good deal on this house. But we had been married for less than a year, um, and I was testing out that theory, happy wife, happy life. Kelly was a trooper. She bought into this grand vision. And she, uh, but one of the things she wasn't fully aware of was my handyman abilities, okay? Um, actually, she had more tools than I did, right? Uh, but we put our heads down. We got to work. Uh, we had like a painting party. We actually had to Clorox the walls first. We had to wipe them all down. Um, we bought new carpet uh, with my birthday money that I've been saving for like 15 years. Um, my dad kind of helped with the oven. And then De- Kelly's dad came in. Okay, Kelly's dad, super handy guy, and he basically made our house livable. He patched the holes in our bathtub uh, that I had no clue were there. Okay, he fixed our sink um, that I didn't know wasn't working. Um, and then a year later, this other guy, he came in, um, and he helped us fix the floor, you know, the tile floor that, was, that wasn't coming up, and he helped, uh, he helped me tile the floor, and when I say he helped me, I watched Okay, uh, I drew a few chalk lines, I put some mud down, uh, I learned a few things, and then he tiled, right? I share that story because we, the thought of fixing up a house, you know, we, we, we thought we were fixing and flipping a house, but really it was older, wiser, more experienced men who were fixing up our house. Now, I was working, and I was learning, and they were making sure it was done right, I thought I was flipping a house all the while. Kelly's dad was really just making sure that her, his daughter had a safe place to live in, right? That's like what happens with us in gardening the gospel. We strive, we work to guard the gospel, but God is the one who is ultimately guarding the gospel. Look at verse 12. Paul says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is, that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And then down in verse 14, Paul shows us that we guard the gospel specifically by the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Just think about this. God uses us to guard the gospel, but he does it by the Holy Spirit, which leads us to our fourth point. Brother and sister, take heart. God is guarding the gospel. Paul finds great confidence that the gospel will be guarded because God is the one that is guarding it. He guards the gospel through his people, by his people, but with the Spirit of God working in them. (laughs) This should give us great confidence. Confidence and boldness comes out of a sense of a security. When we know something, when we're really confident about something, it gives us great courage and boldness when we have a sense of security about it. We can be confident to guard the gospel because we know that God is guarding us through the gospel. In Christ, God is guarding us, and, he's, and in his guarding of us, he's also guarding this truth that we, that we believe. God guards his truth through guarding his people. This is great news. This doesn't sit on our shoulders. Yes, we have a responsibility to guard the gospel, and there's great freedom 
But God is the ultimate guardian. He's the ultimate guardian. This is God's world, and he's protecting his greatest treasure in it. God is protecting the gospel, and God is protecting his people. Listen, God's people are gospel people. God protects what his people need. And as I said, as I said last week, we have a great confidence. Listen, we have great confidence that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. His plans and his message, they will not be thwarted. The movement of the gospel can't be stopped. In fact, we guard the gospel out of worship of God, not, of, not out of obligation to God. We can worship God in our guarding, and we can guard out of our worship. This is, a, this is an act of worship. We can, we can guard the gospel and worship at the same time. It's out of worship is how we guard the gospel. And I want to end this with, with this. If you're not a Christian here today, or no, excuse me, if you are a Christian here today, brother and sister, be encouraged. Be, be spurred on. Guard the gospel with your gifts. Guard the gospel with the word. Guard the gospel in community. But don't miss this. Take heart. Because God, the, the creator of the universe, the God that loves us, that saves us, that calls us, that sustains us, he's guarding his gospel. He's guarding his message. It's his mission. And we, and we get the privilege to be a part of it, to guard it and to protect it. The greatest, this is the greatest news ever told. Absolutely. We get to guard it. It's, and it's out of worship because it is worship. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, Listen, we pray. We pray that you would believe the gospel. Believe it. Believe that this truth is worth guarding. This is a truth worth trusting, devoting our life to, devoting your life to. It calls for your entire life, not part of it. It doesn't call for part of it. It calls for all of it. We believe that this gospel is so valuable that it's worth guarding, but it comes and it comes with utter confidence and knowing that God is guarding us. God is guarding us. Maybe today is the day of salvation. I pray that it is. I hope that it is. Guard your, let, let God guard your life today. For all of eternity. By trusting in Christ today. Jesus is calling us to trust Him. Trust in Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. Believe it. Trust it. God wants to use you. This is valuable. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for how you work in us, how you use us. Father, how you are guarding uh, this great truth. Father, we pray um, that this truth would hold, um, hold, would work in our hearts, it would work in our lives, that we would uh, ring to it. Father, we need this. We need what you're doing in us. Father, continue to work through us. Father, we need your help. We need you to work. Father, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.